0: If you'd open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, we believe that all of the Bible is breathed out by God. This is God's holy word, and the Holy Spirit has preserved his word for us today. It's a precious thing that you're holding in your hands. There are people who have longed. To have Bibles, and now we all have them, at least here. So, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 18? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Please be seated. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you again and ask that you would help our feeble hearts our wandering minds, to embrace the truth that we see in this scripture this morning. Thank you for giving us your word. We pray that you strike a very straight blow with this crooked stick in Jesus' name. Amen. A new creation. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? A new creation. If he had said, if anyone is in Christ, he has a new name. That's, yeah, that's understandable. We have a a new name. Or if anyone is in Christ, he has a new father. Or a new master or a new savior. Or even if you're in Christ, you have a new heart. But these are are shocking words. We've heard them so many times, I think they lose their shock value. But if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. (coughs) Let's talk about why a new creation is even required. That's the first thing we'll talk about. Then we're going to talk about the new creation in Christ, the new life we have in Christ, and see that it's all completely from God. So why? Why a new creation? Why is Paul using these particular words? Well, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, just a few pages to the right. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's just read a few, a few verses here. Ephesians 2. To the church in Ephesus, Paul writes, verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Paul says, you're spiritually dead. You used to be spiritually dead, church in Ephesus. This means you're unable to do anything good, anything righteous that would please God. You say, well, don't even pagans do things that appear good on the outside? I mean, don't they actually do good? like Feeding the poor, that's a good thing, right? And it may appear good on the outside, and certainly they may think they have good intent. But for something to be good or righteous in the eyes of God... It must be the right thing, done in the right way, for the right reasons. The right reason being the glory of God. And certainly pagans do nothing for the glory of God. So not murdering, that's a good thing. If someone doesn't murder, good on you. I'm glad. That's a good thing. But is it truly righteous? Is it truly good? In the sense of it pleases God? Well, no, it can't be. Because it's not done to the glory of God. And even if it's a good thing, if it's not done for the right reason, i.e. maybe I'm afraid of punishment. Uh, Maybe I'm doing it under protest. I'm driving the speed limit only because there's a cop right behind me. I'm afraid of what might happen. It's not the right reason, right, for obeying the law. So Paul's saying that this was the state of everyone. You, You could not do anything to please God. It might look like a good thing, a right thing, but it may not have been done in the right way or for the right reasons. We also see that you're spiritually dead because you're still under an old master, a covenant of works, which demands perfection, and none of us are perfect. Under the covenant of works, after the fall, none of us are able not to sin. We will sin. We can do nothing else. We're also spiritually dead. We see it in that we are at complete enmity with God. Hence, the whole point of Christ. The whole point of Jesus. And we'll talk much more about that next week. Finally, we'll see that Paul highlights not only are we dead, we are in slavery to the world, the flesh, and the devil. You wonder why we talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil being the the unholy trinity, if you will. Well, look at verse 2 in Ephesians 2. He says that you were all dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. There's the world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's the devil, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, in this situation, there must be something new. There must be. A new creation. Which is why we see in verse 17, Paul using this shocking, I think, language. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Okay, if you've been listening um, over the past four years, whenever there's a therefore, what are you supposed to do? See what it's there for, right? You look backwards. So, Paul has been describing his own experience. He's been ministering to a church that hasn't appreciated his ministry, has actually rejected it, embraced false teachers, people who were more eloquent, who were more powerful in their speech. He's been severely tested. They seem to have rejected the pure gospel. And Paul has instructed them in this letter that it's all okay because this is all from God. And as you press me and try to crush me and as I feel dismayed, this only, these hardships only strengthen my message. This is part of the therefore that he's referring to. The more he's broken, the more this treasure within him is, is poured out to the church of God. So their persecution actually only serves to make him more effective in this gospel ministry that he's been given. So he's looking at all of his life and he's saying, therefore, because my calling is from God, because... The the outcome of my ministry comes from God. The effectiveness of all that I say to you is from God. Therefore, because of your sovereignty in this ministry, I know that it's all God. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's not Paul making new creations, Paul making change. When you come and listen to preaching, it's not the preacher who is changing your heart. It's Christ speaking through that broken man, creating something new when you come to Christ. So if anyone is in Christ, let's look at those two words, in Christ. What does that mean? Well, based on Ephesians 2, it means something brand new. It means being reconciled to God. It, being, it means coming into a new family with Christ as the older brother and our father in heaven as our father means being united to Christ in His life, in His suffering, in His death, in His resurrection. It's being transferred from that covenant of works under Adam requiring perfection to this covenant of grace wherein Jesus Christ Himself lived the perfect life and took all my sin and gave me all His righteousness. To be in Christ is to have no condemnation. So Paul could say in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Just let those words run over your soul if you have faith in Christ. Just let them cover you up like a warm blanket. If anyone is in Christ, not only is he a new creation, but there is no condemnation. This is good news indeed. To be in Christ means that you're no longer a slave to the world, to the devil. To the desires and passions of your flesh. To be in Christ means that you you joyfully now submit to the yoke of Christ, of, of slavery and service to a new master whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. To be in Christ ultimately just is to be a true Christian. This is what it means to be in Christ. But Paul says if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. This is referring to the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit on your heart. This heart that once was hard is now soft and replaced with a new one. If you're in Christ today, it's because He has done a work. He has made you new. He's given you a new heart, as Ezekiel said in chapter 36. Or as Lydia is described in Acts 16, the Lord has opened your heart to believe. Or to use the words of Jesus. To Nicodemus, you have been born again. What baby decides that he's going to be born? What baby decides that he's even going to be conceived? No, this is a work of God. You're a new creation. When God does something to the human soul, it's a new creation. Well, creation really is the key word. Why is Paul saying that you're not just with a new father, you're not just in a new family, but you have a new, you are a new creation, or in the Greek, a new creature? This is a completely new thing. What is he referring to? Well, he's referring to Genesis 1 and 2, when God, the Almighty God, created out of nothing the entire universe in the space of six days by the word of his power. And all very good. He did it without cooperation from anyone or anything. He didn't use any pre existing matter, he spoke it into existence. No one helped him. He didn't need any help. He just commanded and it was done. So, this is what Paul is referring to when he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you have been born again, it's because God recreated you. Just as He created the universe, this work that He's done in your heart is is so drastically new and radically different from what you once were. So much so that just as nothing existed before God spoke it into existence and then He spoke and it came, a creation it's that same that same idea that it's so it's so different what god has done that this is a new creation all done completely by the power of god it was it was by fiat it was an act of divine will of sovereignty he's the creator god And you remember when, when God finished creating the world in six days, what did He say? He said, it's very good. When He works something new in your heart, when He regenerates your heart so that you love Him, it's very good. You've been justified. You've been made righteous in Jesus Christ. And even the word new, a new creation, is, is, is speaking something Wonderful. The Bible throughout talks about new things that God is doing, and they always imply excellence. The new Jerusalem is someday coming down to earth. It's excellent. You read Revelation 20, 21, 22. Everything about this new place God has made for us is excellent. The new heavens. The new earth. David says after God's deliverance that he would sing a new song. He says, sing a new song to the Lord. And you are a new creation in Christ. Indeed, in Revelation 21, God says, I am making, he says, behold, I am making everything new. So when God saves a person, he completely changes a person and it's excellent and new. So we often think that we just need a tune-up. You need an overhaul. Or, Or I just need a little remodel you need a complete demo and a rebuild. I was trying to think of something that might appeal to the, the younger generation. You don't get a software update. You get a new operating system. It's completely new. He is the potter and we are the clay. And he takes that, that warped and, and marred lump of clay and he tosses it aside and he makes something brand new. So this new creation is, is so radical that it affects everything about a person. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Verse 17 continues, "The old has passed away." And this is our new life in Christ, point two. The old has or point three. Our, our old life has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old. What is the old referring to? It's referring to our old nature. It's not indicating that we're, we're now perfect and we only do perfect things. But that our hearts are new. but the, the longings of our heart have changed. We've been given a new heart. They no longer desire the things they once desired. The, the world, the flesh, and the devil no longer hold any attraction to us or it's less and less and less attractive. As God sanctifies us, those desires are no longer the core of who we are. As Paul said, we once followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and lived in the passions of our flesh, and carried out the desires of our body and mind. But that was our old nature. And now all of that is new. Our old nature is gone. When God made you alive with Christ, those things lost their luster. The old has passed away. So not only do you no longer have a taste for the pleasures of the world, no longer do you, do you have that, that same desire to fulfill the lust of your flesh, more importantly, you're no longer a slave to sin and Satan. In other words, yeah, you're still tempted at times. And yeah, your flesh sometimes says, you should do that thing. You You should pursue this thing. But you're not a slave to those things any longer. That's the change. Your heart has been changed. You're a new creation. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You've been purchased with a price. And Christ said, if Jesus sets you free, if the Lord sets you free, you are free indeed. The new has come. Now you are able not to sin because of the Holy Spirit in you. Before you were not able not to sin, now you're able not to sin. You're able to please God. The new has come. If you're in Christ, you know this is real. Things you once loved and thought you would never be able to stop. God has worked something in you, and all of a sudden you can stop. People who once were alcoholics no longer have a desire for alcohol. People who once were addicted to pornography no longer have a desire for those things. Homosexuals who become Christians are, are progressively freed from these unnatural lusts. Prideful people become humble. Angry people become joyful. Bitter people become thankful. Anxious people become peaceful. Pleasure-seeking people become God-seeking people. You become like Christ more and more. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. This this old way of life was always leading you down into deeper and worse sin. But with the new way of life, yes, we still sin at times, but it's always a pattern upward. You become like Christ. Throughout your life, you want to know your Father and you want to please Him. And Paul has mentioned this throughout this letter also already. He said, the light has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the new life. He says that we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord and are transferred from the same image transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Amen. This is the new life, the new creation. The new has come. Our outer self may be wasting away, but our inner self is what? Being renewed day by day by His Word and by the Spirit. This is the new creation. What is being mortal is swallowed up by new life. We have a new hope. And we know that someday God will take us to our new home. Indeed, the old has gone. Indeed, the new has come. Praise God. Glory be to God. So when Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. All things have become new. It's because Christ lives in you and truly everything has changed. If you have faith in Christ, you know how true this is. You know that the things you once desired no longer have a hold of you. You know that, that the sin that once held you tightly is being broken progressively throughout your life. Sometimes it's a radical, amen, change. Boom, it's all over. Sometimes this change takes a little bit longer. But you know that the intent of your heart is always to please God. This radical change, this new creation is also a perfect opportunity and a wonderful sign that you're truly in Christ. At the end of this letter, 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we should examine ourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Are you in Christ? He says, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail to meet the test? So when you you stop and you look back at your life and you ask yourself, am I a new creation? This is a good question. What exactly should we be examining that Jesus Christ is in you and you're a new creation? Well, what does that look like? We examine... does what you say you believe actually line up with how you live? What you desire? Do you really love and trust Jesus? Or do you say that for whatever reason? A fear of hell or you say you believe in Jesus but you actually desire the pleasures of this world more than anything spiritual, anything related to God? And you know this because you always find yourself choosing to pursue the pleasures of this world. And you rarely choose to spend time with the Lord. You see, a new creation doesn't just, Ah, it's time to read the Bible. I guess I should pray before this meal. A new creation longs to fellowship and commune with the Holy God. You, 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 you. You long to devour the bread of life, to to eat the Word of God, to fill up your soul with truth. You say you believe in Jesus, but you pursue the lust of your flesh much more than you pursue anything spiritual, much more than you pursue Christ. Is that real true faith? Have you been made a new creation And I think this is most transparent when you look at how you spend your free time. Well, I've got five free hours a day. Well, I did read my Bible for 15 minutes this morning. But after that, it's done and I'm just off to the races. I'm going to watch this game. I'm going to do that show. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go this hike. I'm going to do this. Okay, well, those things are okay. What's the desire of your heart? Is that what a new creation does? Pursues the lust of your flesh with reckless abandon? You say you believe in Jesus, but does your life show a real change? Is there anything new? Has your behavior been altered at all? Certainly we're not saved by works. We all know that. We're Presbyterians. We know we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Amen. Amen. But when you examine yourself, you're not examining only that you believe the truth about the gospel. You're examining your life. Say, preacher, this is just so hard. Why do you always talk about these things that really challenge me? It makes me not like to listen to you. Jesus taught that hell will be filled with people, filled with people who claimed to follow him, people who come to church like us every Sunday. And someday they would say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we pastor churches in your name? Weren't we missionaries in your name? Didn't we teach Sunday school and and run the nursery in your name? Didn't we help with all of these various church activities? Weren't we deacons and elders in your name? Didn't we do good Bible times every morning and come to church faithfully and Do other mighty works in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This should cause cause all of us to step back and say, what in the world has happened? Why would Jesus say that? He's describing people who think that making an outward show of religion... It's the same as actually taking up your cross daily and following Jesus. Of counting the cost. They thought that professing faith in Christ was the same as having faith in Christ. They refused to examine themselves and alter the course and pursue Christ. Because once they did, they might realize that they were not a new creation, that this was just the old thing that was polished up, the, the oil change. Maybe that's sufficient instead of the complete overhaul. Jesus also said a tree is known by its fruit. Your inward fruit, he describes throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Your outward fruit as well. What you truly desire is indicated by what you actually do. And who you really love is seen by whom you you obey. Again, he's not talking about perfect living, but a new creation means that your mind, your will, your emotions, all that you are is under completely new management. What pleases you is to please the Father. But what makes you tick is waking up and thinking, Lord, I want to glorify your holy name today. instead of being a slave to the passions that once controlled me, to the world and the flesh and the devil. I want to be a slave of Jesus. I want to please my Lord. And this is evidence that you are a new creation because you didn't do it. You can't do it. As we discussed, there's nothing you can do to please God. You know that this work, this change that happened in you, is a work of the Holy Spirit. And if you've seen this in you, this should give you great encouragement. If you say, well, I once thought the Word of God was just a great burden, and now I find it to be a great joy. Praise God. I once ran from church. I didn't even want to go to church. Or if I did come, it was only under protest. And now I long to be with the people of God and sit under the Word of God. Praise God. This is part of being a new creation. This desire to please God, to be with His people, to hear His Word. But what if that is not your experience? What if today you realize that you might not have anything new? There might be nothing new. It might just be polishing up this old rusty spoon. You've tried to give yourself the tune-up. But it's not enough. You need to know you're helpless to change yourself in any meaningful way. The Word of God is clear on that. You can't do it. You can't fix it. You can't make yourself be born again. What baby can do that? No baby can do that. What baby can decide to be conceived? No baby can do that. You know, apart from Christ, it's a hopeless cause. It's a hopeless situation. You know, Ray Comfort is a, an evangelist who goes out on the street. He's getting old now. he doesn't do it as much anymore, but when he goes out, if you've ever seen him on YouTube or something he actually he's not this guy who just stands on a, on a, on a tin crate and, and screams at people with a bullhorn. He loves people. He walks up to them and engages them. And this, the, the conversation almost always goes like this. Have you ever thought about what, what's going to happen to you when you die? Well, yeah, I've, I've thought about it a little bit. Well, what do you think will happen to you? Well, I'm probably going to go to heaven. Okay, well, why do you think that? What are you doing to pursue that goal? Well, you know, I try to live a good life and be a good person. Oh, a good person, okay. Who determines what's good in your mind? Do you just decide what's good? Does your culture tell you what's good? Because Hitler did what he thought was good, and it was horrible. There are whole cultures that have thought it was good to have multiple wives or to commit adultery or to, to eat their enemies for supper. They thought that was good, so does culture determine what's good? No, well, that can't be it. Well, what determines what's good? Oh, it must be... Something else. Yeah, it's God. And then he walks them through how they're not good people. Because based on God's standards of good, our efforts, apart from Christ, are ridiculous, are they not? My favorite is the the little boy who has the bow and arrow, and he goes out and he's going to shoot the sun. He thinks his aim is good. He pulls that bow back as far as he can. He lets it go. He missed the sun by a few million miles. That's us trying to be good before God. No, Jesus said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, just see it. You must be born again. So if you are examining yourself right now and you realize, I don't know if I am a new creation. The yearnings of my heart are not for Christ. Christ. Ultimately, it's just, I didn't want to go to hell, which is valid. Nobody wants to go there. But the first steps of being right with God involve knowing God and knowing yourself clearly. Not just a perception of yourself and not just a perception about God, but knowing God, knowing yourself. And where do we find that? We find it right here. So if you're seeing yourself clearly for the first time today or seeing God clearly for the first time today, this is hope. Praise God. This may be the very beginning of a work of God in your life. You realize these touch-ups have not produced a new creation in your life. You realize you need God's help. And Paul thinks this as well. Verse 18, this, this last point is that It's all from God. Verse 18, he says, and it's all from God. Everything related to salvation from start to finish is from God. Your regeneration is from God. Your faith is from God. Your sanctification is from God. And the triune God is perfectly unified in his saving purpose. The Father chooses who will be his. The Son comes And actually does the work of redeeming those who are His. And then the Holy Spirit applies that salvation to individuals, to people. And then He enters into them. And transfers you into the covenant of grace. And all of this refers to the new creation work. That is each child of God. It's all of God. And next week we're going to talk about Christ's part of it in detail. But it's all from God. Tonight in home group, we're going to talk about an alternative view of salvation that would say it's mostly from God, but I'm the one that actually flips the light switch. I'm the one that does that work. The rest of it's from God, but I start it, I get it kick started. But that's not true. It's all from God. That's what grace means unmerited favor. Yes, you need faith. Yes, you need repentance. It's from God. Yes, you need to please God in your daily life. That's from God. And how did God save us? The things He required, He gave us in Jesus Christ. He says, through Christ, He reconciled us to Himself. There was great enmity between God and man, and he's changed it. Hodge said, God's reconciliation with us must precede our reconciliation with him. This is true. That's why Christ came. So the regeneration that he accomplishes, us, accomplishes in making our hearts new, and making a new creation, and giving us completely new desires is only possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. So let's close with this. Today, if you're convinced that you have faith in Christ and you see it because you see all of these things that you desire have changed. I desire Jesus. I do want to please Him. I do long for time and fellowship with the saints. I long to be in the Word of God. I long to to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. I long to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Praise God. Thank Him. Because those things are only a work of God. You don't have it in you. But if you're convinced this morning that you've never experienced this new creation, you realize that you probably don't really love Jesus like that. And that's an indication that you aren't anything new. Today, repent. Repent of your sin and come to Christ. Call out to Him. Yes, you can't change yourself. Yes, He must give you faith. Call out to Him. Call out for faith to believe in Jesus Christ and then trust in Him and keep coming in your brokenness and your hopelessness until He changes you. Call out to him until he answers. And if you've been in church for many years, and you know, if you were Satan and you could look out upon the earth as Satan, you wanted to deceive, he's the deceiver. What's the one thing you would deceive the very most people of? If you focused your mission efforts on one thing of deceit, what would that be? It would be convincing people that they are saved in some way, that they're good with eternal salvation, when they're not. That's the deception. Whether you think you're saved as a Buddhist, whether you think you're saved as a Christian, that's what Satan does. You're okay. It's all okay. So if you've been deceived for many years, don't think that Satan's just going to let you, you take this battlefield without a fight. God in His sovereignty will often, in His providence will often allow Satan to oppose this, because you realize the depth of your sin and you realize the new freedom that Christ has given you in Jesus Christ. So if you feel burdened and beset, if you feel challenged this morning, give praise to God. If you just feel weak in your faith, I want to encourage you as well that There's a smoldering wick in you. Maybe your faith is just really weak this morning. You say, I do believe that, and I do desire those things. But my faith is so weak. He will not snuff out a smoldering reed. And a bruised reed, he said, he will not break. If you're a smoldering wick, take heart. And for everyone. Christ says, Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden. That's all of us, isn't it? Weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us such a great hope. We thank you that you do Make us capable of worship. You make us capable of faith. And you recreate us. So that we might be holy. And godly in our lives. You recreate us so that we can be. Righteous in Jesus Christ. And stand before your throne. You recreate us. So that we will shine as lights. In this dark world. We thank you. That you work new creation work. All the time. And will continue until the very last person whom you've ordained for salvation has been saved. This will continue. Lord, the creation you did upon the universe, speaking it into existence was a great miracle. And even greater is the miracle you do bringing depraved, ungodly people into your own family. So do this work in us, encourage our souls in Jesus' name, amen.